0: So I have a little bit of a, I don't know, I guess the way to say this is not the most pleasant task to start with, always. We need to talk a little bit about grief. So before we do that, how many of you were sort of raised with the rub some dirt on mentality, you'll be fine? Anybody? (laughs) How many were raised that... In the opposite direction that's sort of right now, which is, if anything bad happens to you, it's the end of the world. Anyone? But you've seen that, haven't you? Okay, so they're both wrong, I would tell you that. They're both wrong for the exact same reason going the opposite directions. Let me explain. First off, rub some dirt on it, you'll be okay. It's not actually completely true, is it? There are some things that happen in our lives that you will not be okay if they happen. On the other side of that, if I come over here and I say, if, everything, if anything happens to you, it's not going to be okay. That's not true either. Some stuff happens to you and you'll be Okay. You're going to get through it, and maybe it isn't even as bad as you think it is right as it happens. She's all good, or he's all good. That's a he, not a she. She went, big sister went. The aisles are there for use. So I want to make sure that we know that as we as we go into the text today, that that. When Jesus comes and says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the whole, he doesn't mean that life is a party from now on. He does mean it's going to be worth it. It's an example of this. I want to say this. The last time I was back in the Tri-Cities, I ran into somebody that, that knew me from before I was a pastor, and they said, you're a pastor now. Are you having fun? And I said, fun isn't really the word I would use. He's going to run for me. It's all good. You. Hey, hey. hey, you. So, but life isn't always just going to be perfect. And, and I was asked if I was having fun as a pastor. What do you think? Is that, Mom? <laughs> that, that, and, and I want to tell you, not everything I do is fun. Most of it's worth doing. Yesterday, we were in Oroville doing uh, Dorla's internment, which I'm told not everybody understands that language. That's the, the graveside service for Dorla from our for service. Look, it's worth doing and doing a good job at. And it's even worth. Um, honoring her in a way. So I'd, I'll just paint the picture for you. Everybody was there and Dorla was fairly relaxed. Everybody's family was really relaxed. But but I just want you to know that that I felt compelled to wear the suit, the coat and tie and all of that. Not just because that's the official way to do it, but to honor Dorla. Now I did something else to honor Dorla. I would just want you to know this. I have Seahawk colored uh, golf clubs, a green one and a blue one for each hand. I did the service wearing those because that would have been totally Dorla. But it's worth doing well, but that's not fun to do. It's not fun to do. There was a really neat moment at the service, and I'll just share this. Uh, just before the service happened, a florist came up and they had a bouquet, and it was from her graduating class. Think about that. I thought about that for a second, and I thought, wow, I, I don't know that my graduating class could do that, but then I went to, you know, there were 300 in my graduating class, and I'm not sure that they would really notice me that much. Um, Marika had 16 in hers. They probably noticed that. Oroville was smaller. But it was one of those things. But I want to I wanna let you know that Look, if you read the Psalms, if you spend any time in the Psalms, sixty percent of them are laments, which is the old fashioned way of saying grieving. I'm lamenting. I'm grieving. And in our text today, this is in first second Samuel one seventeen and beyond, this is David's song for Saul and Jonathan. Now, just like the text we just read, just after Judas leaves, Jesus says, and now God is glorified. Just want you to understand the juxtaposition of difficult things. I'm being betrayed, and that's the glory of God is part of that. When we hear David sing a song lamenting the death of Saul, I want to take a moment to recognize that he had had 20 years of being persecuted by Saul. And he wasn't forgetting that. That is part of what's going on in them. So here it is, verse 17. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah, not just that I'm going to lament, but that it's good for the people to lament when something happens. Here's something that I was thinking about when I was reading this. Do you You realize we don't really have a king, but... Let's say in England, at some point, the current queen is going to pass away, and the next ruler of England will have just lost a family member. Even though they're going to be ruler, long live the king or long live the queen, the queen is dead. There's this spot where we need to not quite move on from where we are until we've taken um, until we've taken sort of contact and understanding from that moment. Here it goes. It is known as the Song of the Bow and is recorded in the book of Jashar. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath and don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon where the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice rejoice, and the pagans will laugh and triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fruitful fields producing offerings of grain, for there the shield of the mighty heroes was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil and the bow of Jonathan was powerful and the sword of Saul did its mighty work. Just take a moment to recognize that David was living in a foreign land under a foreign ruler, banished. Singing of the person that had done it to him. Not all oppressors are always oppressors. Think about that for a second. David's oppressor wasn't only an oppressor. He was... Good for Israel at the time as well. For a time. They shed the blood of their enemies and pierced the bodies of the mighty heroes. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. I just want to want to hear that. That it was Jonathan's loyalty to his father that kept him from joining David in in exile. That they were closer than brothers. That that it was David's loyalty to Israel that kept him from asking Jonathan to leave his father. This is not an easy moment. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother, Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. How, oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen, stripped of their weapons. They lie dead. Does that fit your vision of I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Does, does does the chance to sit and be in the moment of pain, does that fit within your vision of I've come to have life, I've come to bring you life, and that you might have it in the full? As Christians, we need to recognize that life isn't always sunshine and buttercups. And there has to be a place for lament and sorrow in our hearts. Otherwise, we'd never come to Christ in a place where we would know him. You have to lament your own deeds. As Ted said, if Dave really knew what has gone on in my life, if Jesus really knew what's gone on in my life, have you ever said that to yourself? If Jesus really knew what has gone on in me, he wouldn't like me or he wouldn't forgive me look, Jesus knows what's gone on in your life, and he offers you forgiveness, but don't l- take the lie that said, if they don't, we have a video on the, on the screen back there, and, and one of the lines in the video for welcoming people is, that if you, somebody says, if you know what they've done, if you know what i had done, you wouldn't want me, and the response is, the other guy says, if you know what I've done, you'd know it doesn't matter. Is there a dress code in church? Yes, wear some. (laughs) Is it about the money? No, it's not about the money. We have expenses, but we... Look, life is more than just smiles. And if there's not a smile in your heart and you're in a spot where you need to lament, putting on a brave face denies that location. Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say it this way that, that if a community of saints, you know what? The, here, I'll give you the biblical definition of the word saint. Are you ready? Jesus' people. Everybody who loves Jesus, that Jesus loves, they're saints. Not, not because certain things happened in their life, but because they accepted Jesus, they become saints. If a community of saints only is saints, And now we use the word differently, right? If we're only all bright and shiny people, then we all are living behind a facade and no real relationship can happen. Because you're not who you are. You're who you want to project. You're like Winthrop up in the Medhow Valley, which is all Western scenes. Somebody died there and left them a million and a half dollars to the town if they would decorate it like the Old West. They're, they don't live in the Old West in the same way that Leavenworth is not in Bavaria. Now, now it's very cool, it's very amazing, but it's not real. Dietrich Bonhoeffer then says, because of that, we must all be who we actually are. You must be a community of sinners who have become saints. You must all be real so that a newcomer coming in that is not a saint can see that they're not alone and that they don't have to put on the face and the facade of perfection in order to come be like that. That's one of the five things in my book that I wish Christians would quit believing, that, man, you've got to be good to, to come be amongst us. No, you've got to be forgiven. And which sins, Ted, which sins did Jesus forgive? All of them. That's what you said, right? All of them. Is it it that my sins are particularly bad or Saul's sins were particularly bad against David? Yes, they were particularly bad. They were particularly bad and particularly forgiven. And Jesus has a right to forgive Saul or me when I do something to somebody else. Do you know why Jesus has a right to forgive me? Let's say for a second that I did something to you and Jesus has a right to forgive me in the same way that you do. Do you know why he has a right to be a forgiving party in that group? Cuz you're his and he made you. And if I do something against somebody that's his or something that's yours, you get mad about it. If I do if I go to your property and I deface your property, I've I have defaced something that's yours and you have a right to be mad. If I do something against something that's someone who's Jesus's, he has a right He is an offended party in the argument. And the whole world belongs to him. But here's this other spot. This is the spot where we talk about it. If I only live in a spot where I have to rub some dirt on it, by the way, I really believe that that kind of comes from a bad theology. And that bad theology is sort of the Greek view of what, of the unmoved mover, the, the power behind everything that doesn't get moved. So how many of you heard this, that, that the Lord is always the same and unchanging? Does that mean that he's not feeling and forgiving or that he's always hard and unmoved, as the Greek view is, he's unmoved by reality. He's the, the deistic version of the, of the clockmaker who makes the clock and sets the world to motion and doesn't have anything to do with it afterwards. But we're not like that. We are moved by our circumstances. We're actually fully human when we're connected properly to the world there's worse things than death there's worse things than having people call you names there's worse things the worst thing is being disconnected and cast adrift with no connection that that your emotions then become sort of meaningless it's it's the difference between well nothing ever happens and i'm stoic faced see you're disconnected from the world because that's not true Or in our political atmosphere, every little mistake moves immediately past what happened into how do we correct this and make a big deal out of it and we don't take time to sit in the moment and go, wait, let's lament what happened. And we end up in a world where I, I, just, I just remember it very specifically when Alex was in fourth grade, they were playing tag and somebody got hurt and you couldn't play tag at the school no more. Now, did somebody get hurt? Yes. Did the person that get hurt, were they being oppressed? Probably not. Was the person that accidentally hurt them oppressing them? Probably not. But they were real people and we have to connect And be real in that moment. Is it good that they got hurt? No, it's not good that they got hurt. Can you live through a black eye? Yeah, you can. Matter of fact, if you're in fourth grade and you get a black eye, you're probably the star of the show while you have the bruise. But life happens, and we have to live it to the full. We have to take time to be in the moments that we're in. That's what it means. That means when something bad happens around you, take the time to sit with them and do that. Don't grieve as the world without any hope. Don't go beyond that. So when we go, and we did the graveside yesterday for Dorla, we we. We missed her. We miss her. We miss her. You know what? Jesus has got her. She's better connected to Jesus now than she was before. We don't grieve as though we have no hope as First Thessalonians 4 would say. Don't grieve as people without a hope. They don't go away. Our people don't go away. That's the, prob- the biggest problem with the evolutionary belief system is that you were dust, and that's all you're ever going to be again. And when you're gone, you're gone. And you can see people then have to cling to everything because what's left? There is no hope there that your generations would remember you. Look, I think that, that the Mexican Day of the Dead Uh, stuff does a better job than the american grieving system does of missing their family members but you know the dark underbelly of what they believe is that even when the family members when they get far enough away and they're forgiven they leave the good place and go to a bad place don't grieve as though you're a people without any hope you have a hope what is the hope that lies within you you are connected I had this very conversation with somebody the other day who was struggling with what was going on in their family. And this was the line I said, I know this is hard. I need you to begin to trust Jesus with your family member. Whether she comes home or not, she loved Jesus and Jesus loves her. That means Jesus has her. Jesus has got her back and yours. You don't know what's going to happen, but don't grieve as though you have no hope. Jesus has your back. Jesus loves you, and he's got your back. I'm way off my notes. This is not where I intended to go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, but so our God... Jesus in Hebrews is is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How do we rectify that and not end up with the unmoved mover? That's the spot I want to make sure you get today. What's the difference between this God and the Greek view of the power behind it it that no emotion strikes, that being emotionless and powerful and all this? God's mercy has always been there. His mercy and forgiveness, even if we were to do these lines, let's, let's do this. This is Exodus. I think I'm in Exodus here in this Bible. This is in Exodus 34, verses uh, 4 through 7. And this is Moses going up the mountain to get the tablets. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the originals. See, that's, that's, this is the second trip up the hill for the law. The law that was broken, and God did not destroy the people, but in mercy prevailed. So everybody who thinks that the Israelite nation was founded on the law is wrong. The first law came down the mountain. Those tablets were broken, and God said, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses says, oh, not for your namesake. For your namesake, be mercy. And so they live by mercy, but they get the law for their good. He got up early in the morning and climbed Mount Sinai as God had commanded him, carrying the two tablets of stone. God descend, descended in the cloud and took up his position there beside him and called out the name, out his name, God. God, who passed in front of him and called out, God, the Lord, the Lord of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so true, so loyal for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. Remember last week, God doesn't ignore your sin. He doesn't hate the, love the sin, hate the sinner. He, he loves the sinner and forgives the sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for the fathers to three generations, but he follows in mercy for a thousand generations. So where do we go from here? How is it that we, that we should live our lives and be full? To be real. That's what Jesus calls us into being. This life that... That The point of the Exodus verse is, even in the beginning, his mercy was tempered with truth. He didn't ignore it. He forgave it. He didn't call sin, oh, that's not a sin. He didn't call the bad things we do, oh, those aren't bad. Don't worry about that. We got that handled. He said, look, if we lament them, he forgives them. It's in this spot for lament, this grieving. Is your spirit grieved over some of the stuff you've done? Mine has been grieved over the, some of the stuff I've done. If it's grieving over something you've done, then take that to the cross. Don't put the grief aside and go, nah, it ain't that bad. Take the moment to be there and and own it and be fully alive to Christ because in that, you are connected to him. The glory that he has in the verse that Debbie read to us comes right in the midst of betrayal. Have you ever experienced that? I have, that when things are going really wrong, the glory of God really shines and lives in that moment Job's friends, when Job is going through the hard time, okay, so, so they made a mistake after a couple of days of sitting with him and they opened their mouths and, and spoke bad stuff. But they did sit with him for a little bit. They sat with him. And Job's friends were saying exactly what Job believed too when he had all his good stuff. Look, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. The book of Job, the whole book of Job is about God saying, I caused the rain to fall on the good and the bad alike and my mercy is never ending. But his mercy is never ending. The Lord who doesn't change, who got who got scars on the cross. That sounds like a change to me, but it's the, natural, it's the natural outflow of the mercy that was always there in the Lord God. And it's the natural outflow of the truth that was always there in the Lord God. The cross is the ultimate experience of mercy and truth. And sometimes, Truth causes us to need to be sorry and to own the moment because there we're connected. Let's be connected. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. Move in our hearts. You have come to bring us life and have it to the full and a full life experience is All there is. And some of that is hard. And if we're to believe the Psalms, over 60% of our life will be hard, but worth it. So Lord, move in us and cause us to trust in that. In your precious name, amen.